James chapter 1, 9 to 12 this morning. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low. Because as the flower of the grass, he, the rich, shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Father, whenever we see in thy word that sense of blessing happy in the Lord proclaimed. Our ears pick up and our hearts leap for we all do desire to be blessed. Blessed of thee, our God. And this particular text tells us exactly who it is that is blessed and who it is that is a blessing. And we would pray that the man of identification as blessed and blessing would be us individually as we think through the clear presentation of thy word to our hearts in this hour. For that, we will be thankful, for we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen. Blessed indeed are those who have gone through the fire and not been consumed as counterfeit. So said my dead buddy, Charlie Spurgeon. Blessed indeed are those who have gone through the fire and not been consumed as counterfeit. This passage, James chapter 1, 9 to 12, cannot be disconnected from James chapter 1, 1 to 8. And this passage in the whole is talking about the believer who is navigating through the fires of life coming through those fires proves himself, herself to be true, to be, as it were, verse 12, a blessing. Verse 12 is obviously the culmination of this first section. Blessed is the man, the person that endureth, that perseveres through temptation. For when he is tested or tried, 
he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. That's where we're going today. But to get there, we start out talking, verse 9, about the richly poor, and in verse 10, about the poorly rich. When Mary and Joseph presented the baby Jesus at the temple in Jerusalem, according to the law, they made sacrifice. It is clear by the record of the sacrifice that they made, a pair of doves, that Mary and Joseph were impoverished people and not people of great physical resource or people with considerable means. Mary and Joseph were impoverished. However, anyone who reads Mary's Magnificat would quickly come to view her as a richly poor person. Rich in the Lord. Poor, meager, as to physical circumstance. Mary was materially lowly and yet highly favored of God or rich. Mary, as a woman on earth, was richly poor. She is a blessed example of one of two kinds of Christians that James addresses in verses 9 to 12. James writes of the richly poor with considerable personal experience of such, having come from his boyhood years under his dear mother, the mother of our Lord. Now, some people think that James is abruptly changing the subject here, beginning at verse 9, but it will be apparent to us, as I trust it already is, how that verses 9 to 12 complement the opening emphasis of James' concern as it relates to this whole idea of ringing true, of going through living circumstance under the sovereign providential hand of Almighty God uh, for our betterment, for the increase of our faith, for the advance of our testimony. We come to better understand in this section that living for Jesus requires a concerted effort regardless of circumstance. James helps us to see the way that circumstance affects God's children and how God's children must respond to various specific circumstances. We can easily place the instruction of verses 9 to 12 under the former imperatives, count it all joy, Verse 2, let patience take care of its business. Verse 4, and don't forget to ask God for wisdom. Verse 5, God desires his children to face various times and types of testing with a joyful attitude and understanding. 
God wants his own to submit to his wise governance and face every difficulty by trusting prayer. We call your attention to the obvious contrast in verse 9 and verse 10 to poor Christians and rich Christians, or as we've renamed them, the richly poor and the poorly rich. James assumes something that you and I are not inclined to assume. Listen carefully. James assumes that we know that material rich and material poor Christians exist. James assumes that we know that in material poor and rich Christians, in of itself, there is not a hint that those who are poor are necessarily out of the will of God, nor are those necessarily that are rich. James does not believe, listen, James does not believe that God's people are all to have the exact same material status in earthly days of life. Back in one of the homes of which Sherry and I grew up, everybody got the same. When mother brought out the, the big bottle of Coke, she would pour exactly the same amount in every cup. Everybody got the same. I came into that family and said, this is communism. <laughs> everybody was treated the same. Well, it was of necessity that everybody was treated the same. There wasn't enough of that uh, liquid gold to go around if everybody just took what they wanted. You'd never get beyond glass three. And there's a difference in a family when you don't have. And there's a difference in a family when you do have. James does not believe that God wants all his children to be material rich during their earthly lifetime, or necessarily materially poor. That's huge. Think of all the goofiness that would be set aside in the Lord's church if we didn't have attitude towards the rich or the poor. James teaches us that when a Christian, whether rich or poor, as a child of God, nonetheless, has an obligation to respond to God's truth and grace. It appears that God has a plan for rich Christians and that God has a plan for poor Christians and that you and I would expect that some of the poor would get rich and some of the rich would get poor and some of the poor would stay poor, and some of the rich would stay rich, but they all, rich and poor, would find success if they counted joy, letting patience have her perfect work, and asking God for wisdom in navigating the path of life. Material poor Christians are directed to their exaltation, and you'll soon understand why. Material, rich Christians are directed towards their humiliation. 
and you will soon understand why. We begin with the joy of the Lord in the life of the lowly. Verse 9. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted. I thought about putting signs up at the back of the auditorium that said, all the rich on this side and all the poor on that side. Of course, I have no confidence that you'd be honest. I'd be quite sure that some of the rich would sit with the poor and some of the poor would sit with the rich. And that's okay because we're talking about the richly poor, but that's a stupid idea to divide the congregation according to economic class. But nonetheless, we start talking in verse 9 about the joy of life, earthly life, for the lowly. There's nothing particular spiritual or sinful about being poor or rich. Poor people can just as much be caught up in material things as rich people, and often are. Proverbs 30 gives to us the wisdom of Agur, who says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. His logic found in Proverbs 30 and verse 9 says, Lest I be full and deny you, and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Uh, Agur recognized back in the Old Testament book of wisdom that there is a potential stumbling point associated with being rich and a particular stumbling point associated with being poor. That if you have, there's a problem with that. If you have not, there's a problem with that. James tells the Christian poor, verse 9, to glory in the true riches and rank that he and they possess in Christ. Even the most disenfranchised Christian can glory in his high position and his calling as a child of the king. The low degree believer is to rejoice the ver words in the Greek literally say, in the heights. You might be living in the lowlands, but you are to keep your mind in the heights. You are to rejoice as a poor person on earth in your exaltation. So how can the, uh, how can the low uh, Christian uh, go? How can he make his way forward? How low can he go? Well, the word for low means low degree, as in not rising far above the ground. In the terms of an athlete, we would say the guy has no vertical or has no ups. In the terms of aerodynamics, we would say the guy has no wings with which to get off the ground. In the terms of a financial uh, circumstance, uh, the guy is broke. His piggy bank having been long smashed and funds de depleted. That guy, that guy that has come under the test of have not, he is to particularly count it joy. He is to particularly let patience have its perfect work. He is to particularly ask God for wisdom. And the particular point of emphasis that he is to direct his mind as one who has not, is in his exaltation in the 
Lord. This guy is to gain and maintain a joyful perspective based upon the fact that he is a child of the king. The word glory here, the word rejoice here, is uh, likewise translated to boast. This guy is to find his boast in his exaltation in the Lord. I can't help but think of Jeremiah 9. Let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. Specifically, we may well be disenfranchised, but spiritually, we are even now the children of God. It does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when Jesus appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That is the particular biblical advice for the have-nots. And there are times in life when you may well be one of the have-nots. And you must, you must order your mind in the hour in which you have not. You must order your life to understand not is that a condition caused by sin in your life necessarily. Or that something's wrong with you. Necessarily. Because God is the God of all circumstance. And I do believe that God wants all of his children at some point in time in their lives, if not over the totality of their life, to experience a condition of having not. Therefore, there is a specific biblical instruction for the have-nots. If you're one of them, God tells you what to do. Consider the other side of the coin. Joy in the life of the loaded. Joy in the life of the lowly. Joy in the life of the loaded. Many rich Christians have a difficult time acknowledging that they are materially rich. The standard of living in these United States is so high in comparison to worldwide standard that it is fair to say that most Christian Americans are indeed rich by worldly standards. I, I can't get over the food stat that I read years and years ago that says 90% of the world's population eats a staple diet every day if they have food to eat. What does that mean? What's for breakfast? What's for lunch? What's for dinner? What's for Monday? What's for Tuesday? What's for Wednesday? What's for Thursday? What's for Friday? What's for Saturday? What's for Sunday? Is all exactly the same. Mush in the morning, mush at noon, mush at night. 90% of the world's population are on a staple diet. There's only one time in my entire life that I can think of that I ate breakfast and had no clue as to where I was going uh, to get lunch or what I was going to do for lunch or if there'd be any lunch. Only one time. 
And so realistically, while I have to tell you, I do not, I do not often think of myself in the terms of being rich, truthfully, in the world standard, I really am. I really am a rich man in the world standards. And so therefore, there's probably going to be some points of application in this passage to me when I do recognize that I have not, and when I do recognize that I do have. And of course, there is admonition here and exhortation here for the lowly, and there is, of course, uh, admonition and, and exhortation for the loaded. You know that a person and that personal riches often do stand in the way of people when it comes to trusting in the Lord. Wealthy believers are expected, listen, wealthy believers are expected to act upon the truth of the temporal and transitory nature of their material riches. They are to act to use those riches and invest their wealth with eternity's values in view. Rich people are to especially rejoice in the face of trials. Now, why would they do that? Why would one who has rejoice to have not? Well, people that have should particularly rejoice when they have not because when they have not, it helps them mentally, spiritually, to gain and maintain the correct view on the limitations of their material prosperity. A time of humiliation in life of the rich person teaches him of the temporary nature of physical wealth and possession. His material riches are likened to flowering grasses that sprout and then wilt on a very, very hot day. It is believed that uh, James had in mind uh, what is called the Sirocco winds that at a particular time would blow off from the Mediterranean and come onto land, onto the shore in the land of Israel and would perpetrate such a, a dry heat upon the land that even tender sprouts of grass that had come up uh, a day or two before would quickly be uh, uh, killed and dead. Uh, you have a similar thing on the west coast of, a, of America uh, with what is called the Santa Ana winds. Uh, the drying up of resources is supposed to drive the rich man to the Lord of his life concerning expectation and satisfaction. Trials are a great equalizer, making rich and poor believers rejoice in the Lord their God. Rich or poor, doesn't matter in the Lord. That's the thought here. And then this joy in life of the lowly and the loaded is likewise augmented, as the text continues, with a sense of laurels and love. And we come to that in verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, 
For when he is tried or tested, he shall receive the crown. That's where I get the word laurels from. I'll explain it in a minute. He shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Laurels, crown, and loving him who loved us first. Verse 12. Attached to the persevering child of God are a present blessedness and a prospective reward. The person successfully navigating through the various times and types of trial is declared to be blessed. This, of course, is the word that Jesus used repeatedly in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed. It's part of that formula that we recently studied in Matthew 5 to 7. The word makarios does not speak of emotional, happy feelings, but rather a deep sense of personal satisfaction. The sequence here is thrilling. God approves the man. God approves the man that faces the trials of life, whether those trials fly under the banner of have not or whether they fly under the banner of have, God approves of the man that faces the trials of life with faith in God. This approved man, this approved man alone, is thereby going to be rewarded by God. Now listen carefully. God accepts us on the merits of Christ alone. But God approves us on the basis of our perseverance. Don't confuse acceptance, salvation, and approval, sanctification and service. Acceptance and approval. Again, God accepts us strictly on the merits of Christ alone. But God approves us based upon our perseverance. Our perseverance under his tutelage. Our perseverance under his testings. Again, the, round, the word crown is borrowed from the Olympic Games of the day and the practice of putting a wreath around the head of the winner. The particular crown thought of by James is that wreath, that laurel around the head of the Olympic athlete. These laurels were a public symbol of athletic success. You have a similar reference in Revelation 2.10, where Jesus addresses the suffering Christians in Smyrna with similar words. Jesus said to the suffering Christians in Smyrna, be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you the crown, the laurels of life. Earthly poverty or riches notwithstanding, God rewards the lives of those who faithfully endure. In other scriptures, this reward for the faithful 
is associated with righteousness and glory. James does not say that enduring trials is the means to the sinner's salvation. But James does say that enduring trials is the means to a believer's reward. Blessed is the man that endures temptation, that goes through the trial, counting it joy, letting the trial have its persevering work, and asking God for wisdom along the way to navigate the path under such duress. Blessed is that man that endures, that comes through that thing, because he shall receive the laurels of life. The motivation of the believer in obedience and endurance is love. We don't obey and endure in the Lord because we have to. We endure in the Lord and obey the Lord because we want to. We love God because he first loved us. There is a definite connection between faithful perseverance and genuine love for God. Let me say that again. If a person genuinely loves God, they will persevere. There is a connection between faithful perseverance and love for God. A genuine Christian is not a person who one day ago made a profession of faith, but a person who actually and perpetually loves God. Love is a powerful incentive to living for Jesus a life that is true. If we love God, we will not rebel from counting difficulties joy. We will not rebel from letting those difficulties have their perfecting work. We will not prevail from asking God for wisdom. How often have I heard some believers say, I am so distressed, I am so distraught, I can't even pray. Okay, I understand what it is to be there emotionally, but you better take yourself by the nape of the neck, and you better go to God, whether you feel like it or not. Because that's the only way that you can endure. And it's been a while Oh, I've said it many times. This is a generation of Christians that must learn to endure. Casual Christianity is on the way out except under the banner and umbrella of the Antichrist. Biblical Christianity 
could be said to be suffering. But that, of course, would just be a stupid human view. God, who has always had a people, has a people. And I'm glad to know some. And I trust that you are one of them to be known. The motivation of a believer in obedience and endurance is love. As we walk with God during the days of our earthly sojourn, we are able and we are commanded to be joyful. There is not a single earthly circumstance that can be used as an excuse for lacking joy or living in compromise. Low or loaded, we are promised laurels if we loved him who loved us first. I want to go back to the richly poor and the poorly rich paradoxes just for a moment as we wrap up the hour. The godly application of following the opening imperatives for those that are material poor, listen, protects them from victim mentality and envy. I don't have. I don't have. Okay. Does God know it? Well, of course. Have you talked to him about it? Well, yes. And you don't have. Right. Is God in control? Well, of course. Are you trusting him? Well, of course. Well, then what should be your attitude towards have not? Should it not be, oh, God, I love you? <laughs> oh, God, I'm going to serve you with what you do give to me? I'd like to have a truck. I'd like to have a crane. I'd like to have a bulldozer, but all I got is this, is this uh, little dirt shovel. But I'll use the dirt shovel. It's what I got. And then you remember something like, Moses, what is in your hand? A rod. Throw it down. It becomes a snake. <laughs> Pick it up. I don't want Pick it up. It becomes a rod. Could God use a rod? To change the United States of America? Of course. What's in your hand? You got it from God. Be careful about your attitude that leans back and says, those people on, in the pew across from me, they got houses and lands, they got cars, and they got this and they got that, and, and, and they, they, they are well-to-do, and, and, and Lord, I'm sitting here with nothing. Oh, really? Nothing? Nothing? You got nothing? You're a child of the king, you've been saved for eternity, and you got nothing? Quit being a soul-sucking poor person. If you have not, take it from God. Just take it. And be joyful. And let it have its work. And ask God for wisdom. And guess what? You'll be blessed and rewarded by God for coming through that. Amen? And what about if you are rich? The godly application of following the opening imperatives for those materially rich protects them from trusting in the transitory 
and the temporal. It reminds them that earthly wealth is always temporal. Note carefully in verse 11 that it is the earthly ways of the rich man that fade away. The rich man doesn't fade away. He's a Christian rich man. It's his ways that fade away. What ways? He just buys things. He just gets things. He has things. And the rich man is instructed in Scripture to be acutely aware that his ways will not ultimately work with eternity's values in view. You can't buy salvation. You can't buy the sanctification of your own kid. You can't buy the salvation or the sanctification of your grandkid. Money is no advantage concerning the things of God whatsoever. In fact, often a disadvantage. And so the rich man is protected from his stupidity in depending upon riches. All the more reason why the rich and the poor, when they get together in the Lord, as the little old song says, they must treat each other as brothers and sisters when they all get together in the Lord. We must all remember that there is such a thing as sinful poverty. And there is such a thing as sinful prosperity. But regardless of material circumstance, we must all learn to live an earthly life to the glory of God. And that way of living to the glory of God means that God, the master teacher, will test us. Rich or poor, he will test us. And if you be poor, if you be rich, concern yourself with one thing, the Lord. And take the Bible's advice in application to your own soul so that rather than being bitter, you would be better in the Lord. Father, thank you for such a practical teaching of thy word from James, your servant, to our hearts. Help us to be responsive as we sing now our song of commitment. As we think upon our own sense of engagement and walk with you, in the week ahead. Help us to be truly committed to thee and to thy word and to live under thy wise bestowments, whether those bestowments yield for us at this time, have or have not. Help us to be asking for the wisdom needed 
whether we be rich or poor in circumstance. And help us always to have open eyes towards one another so that none of us be hungry, that none of us truly be destitute, that none of us truly be without in a serious sense of physical responsibility and need when so many of us have so much in which to give. Give us grace and bring to yourself glory. In these matters we do pray, in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake, amen.